0: This morning's message is entitled, Pharisees and Clay Pots." I'm not gonna explain to you why. (laughs) You're gonna have to wait and find out. The Lord had been stirring this concept around in my mind for quite a while. And it's actually based on something I've already ministered on before, avoiding the pain of judgment. It's kind of like that because judgment is a trap. It is a snare of the enemy for us to enter into judging somebody else. When I had ministered that message, the Lord just really used it a lot. To set me free because I was always one of those people if you got up during service oh what did I say what did I do oh my gosh I've offended them I'm always thinking what are you thinking okay it is the assumption that you can know what somebody else is thinking or their motives it's all a lie it's all from the enemy and it's all darkness and when the Lord showed me that that's what I was doing That when I would be intimidated or afraid or any of those things, I was entering into that darkness on purpose. I was entering into a trap on purpose. When I attempt to do it now, I say out loud, I am not going into that dark closet with you, Satan. You are not beating the tar out of me today because I recognize it is a lie. I cannot know somebody else's mind or heart unless they tell me. And even then, sometimes you can't really tell. <laughs> Only God really knows. <laughs> okay, so this morning's message is about another trap of the enemy. It's called the snare of offense. I see so many Christians get so entangled in the darkness of offense, and it brings nothing good into their lives. Nothing. What I realize is that I do it, it's one of those traps. You see, a snare is a trap set for you that you don't know is there. <laughs> you don't see it. Okay? But once you recognize the trap, then you don't have to get caught. Okay? And if you recognize it and you're already in it, you can get out a lot quicker. <laughs> so, this morning's message is about the snare of offense. This morning I'm going to talk about what exactly that means. What is it? And how we as believers fall into it. How it affects us when we do. and Best of all, how we get out of it? <laughs> a snare is a kind of trap that is used to catch small animals. Now, we need to remember that. It is used to catch small animals and turn them into lunch. Now, the word offense in the Bible is the word called, in the Greek, it is scandal. It is a trap stick. It is a snare. Figuratively, the cause of displeasure or sin, an occasion to fall or stumbling. It is an offense, a thing that offends. It is a stumbling block. I mean, God calls it a snare. That's actually the word for offense in Greek. It's a snare. It's a trap. (laughs) Offense is something you don't want to stick your foot in, okay? (laughs) Because you will be Satan's lunch. (laughs) Nobody wants to be Satan's lunch. Offense is a trap. When you use the word offend or offense, I want you to see how... Vague these are. This is from the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. It says, to offend is to cause a person or a group to feel hurt, angry, or upset by something said or done. That's pretty vague, isn't it? To offend is to be unpleasant to someone or something. To offend is to do wrong, to be against what people believe is proper or acceptable. Again, there's no real hard definite things here, is there? The definition of offense is very much the same. Something that causes a person to be hurt, angry, or upset. Something that is wrong or improper. A criminal act. Like if you get arrested, that you're what offense are you? Is it a misdemeanor? Is it a felony offense? <laughs> it's a criminal act. <laughs> so when we think of an offense or to be offended, it's very general. There's no definite that this is what it is, the cause, the trap itself. It's just very vague. There's a reason for that. Because offense can be anything, even if there's no intention to offend you. That's why it's a snare. You can't see it. It's not like you're looking for a particular thing. It's sneaky. A snare trap is sneaky. You don't mean to step in it, but you do. The truth remains that an offense, a snare, can still end us up in Satan's trap, taken captive to do his will. It's a trap. And what I see with believers in particular, Christians are usually much more lenient on unbelievers than we are on believers. A minister years ago used to say, if you know better, you should do better. And that is what we usually expect. We expect Christians who know better to do better. So we hold them to a higher standard than we might somebody else. That is a trap. Now, taking defense is always, always, always a snare. It's the trap of the enemy to get your eyes off of Christ Jesus and onto yourself. The enemy used this the snare tactic, if you will, on Jesus. In Matthew 16, 21, it says this, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. Now Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those things that be of men. Jesus is the good kind of offense. (laughs) Okay, and we're not talking about that kind today. (laughs) That's a whole different message. (laughs) But Jesus was offensive. Because Jesus confronted the lies of the enemy. And so people who did not like what he said were very offended. Now, in this particular section of scripture, uh, one of the times I was reading this, I says, Lord, why is this an offense to him? In this particular case, the word means to cause you to stumble, to sin, to err, to get off course. And so this was a temptation. The temptation to be offended always comes before the actual offense. You will be tempted. You'll have to think about that (laughs) to actually get offended. And so when I was asking the Lord, okay, Lord, what was the temptation here for Jesus? Because obviously there is one. He's saying, you're tempting me to get off course. Why is this a temptation? Now what on earth could possibly tempt Christ to get off course? And I began to think about it. And the Lord began to minister to me. He said, Jesus, God himself in Christ. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The desire of God's heart has always been to be close in fellowship with mankind. That was all of the thousands of years while while he was orchestrating and maneuvering and bringing the right time for Christ to come. His whole heart was, let me love you. Let me wrap my arms around you. Let us be the best of friends. Oh, I can't wait to fellowship with you. That is God's heart. So in Christ what does God get to do for the first time in all that centuries? He gets to physically put his hands on his babies and hold them and love them and fellowship with them. He gets to experience a little taste of what's coming. He gets to experience, "Oh, you I love you guys, and we oh, I have such plans for you." And he oh, the best fellowship. And then he says to Peter, "I'm going to go die." And this is going to happen to me. And Peter's like, absolutely not. We love you too much. You're staying with us because we love you so much. We know you're the Messiah. We have a plan. We're going to take over Rome. We're going to rule the earth. Boy, this is a great plan, God. Jesus, you can't go die. We have a plan. (laughs) You love us. You love being with us. You see, that was the temptation. The temptation is to forego what's in the future so I can have what I have right now. I love what Jesus says. You are not thinking the thoughts of God. You don't know that if I give up what's waiting in the future, you will die and I will never get to hold you again. I will never get to kiss you and encourage you and show you how beautifully I created you. That was the temptation. The temptation is to get Jesus off course. So guess what the purpose of an offense is? To get you. Of course if you know (laughs) a fence is a dark closet where you get your brains beat out (laughs) then you know not to go into that closet (laughs) okay (laughs) that's what this message is about I'm tired of seeing Christians get their brains beat out by the enemy because they don't recognize they have stepped into that snare and the enemy has them by the foot and he is pulling them off course they're not fulfilling their destiny they're not even enjoying the fellowship with the Christ that they love because they're so busy being offended and hurt and upset and wanting somebody else to fix it that is a trap that you can't get out of by yourself so how do we believers seem to fall into this trap so easily well We're going to look at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And maybe through this, we can get some clues. This is how the Lord ministered it to me. Beginning in Luke chapter 18, I'm reading from the ESV version. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Contempt is a feeling that someone or something is not worthy of any respect or approval. It's a really serious word. Think about it. Contempt means I look at you and I say, you don't deserve, you are not worth any acceptance or approval. Wow. Ouch. It's very serious. But he says there are those who treat others with contempt. Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Now this is a story. This didn't actually happen. This is a story. So Jesus is painting the picture for us. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. And in the Greek, it really means all other men. I praise you, Lord, I am not like all the others. I am special. (laughs) They are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. What this is, is something the Pharisees actually did. If they were a Pharisee of Pharisees, if they are the best of the best, they tithe on absolutely everything. Mint, cumin, and whatever else. If you gave them a gift, they would value how much that is, how much did that cost, and they would tithe on that. They looked for a reason to tithe on everything. Not because they loved God so much, but they wanted to impress God. You see, that was not required in the law. A Pharisee, a Pharisee, is someone who looks at the law and says, I can even do better. I am that good. (laughs) That's a Pharisee. (laughs) And that was this character's attitude, I am that good, God, thanks. (laughs) But then he says, but the tax collector, standing afar off, would not lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God. Be merciful to me, a sinner." And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, declared right with God, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The first mistake the Pharisee did, he looked at all the good things he did and all the absence of the bad things. There was no please forgive me's. It was all about, I am so good at keeping this law, God. I am so proud of myself. (laughs) but then he compared himself that's what he was doing he says he compared himself to all others and found himself to be superior that's a Pharisee he concluded that God must be pleased look how well I'm doing God of course how could he not be pleased right because he's shunning evil and he's doing what the law requires and even absolutely beyond what was required this picture Jesus painted is the finest specimen of a Pharisee there could ever be but what did he ask God for It says he went to the temple to pray. But if we look at what he said, when it says, and the Pharisee standing by himself in verse 11, it actually means in the Greek, he was praying towards himself. His mind was totally on himself and not Christ, not God, not the Father. He was giving God thanks, but it was lip service. He was sure he had created all this glory all by himself. (laughs) And he was having a really good time. And he didn't ask God for anything because he didn't think he needed anything. He compares himself even after he boasts to the Lord. See how good I am? I thank you. You have made me so good. And then he has to go one step farther. It's in the comparison thing. I'm not like this tax collector. He's like, okay, God, see, see my glory and goodness. See how I look compared to that pathetic tax collector. He's trying to gain more glory for himself by comparing himself to somebody he knows he outshines in performance. That is a Pharisee. He is completely self-righteous, completely self-centered. At the root of all of that self-stuff is pride. Now, Jesus goes on to do this contrast. He's contrasting the best Pharisee in the whole world and the worst sinner in the whole world. To a Jew, the worst sinner in the whole world was a tax collector. They were a Jew who worked for the Roman government, the enemy. (laughs) And unfortunately, (laughs) not only did they collect taxes, but they collected more than was required so that they could make themselves rich. So they were twice hated. We hate you because you're a thief and we hate you because you work for the enemy. That makes you absolutely nothing. Held them in contempt. You are worthy of no honor and no respect. And so they despise them. So Jesus creates this contrast between the best of the best, the performing, the ones who have all the guts and glory and the ones who have absolutely nothing to be proud of. <laughs> he doesn't say much about the tax collector. It says the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, be merciful to me. In the scripture, they translate it a sinner, but that's actually not what it says in the Greek. It says the sinner. Have You ever heard of the town drunk? (laughs) Okay, (laughs) when this man went to the temple, he said, I am the sinner. I am the worst of the worst, and I know it. And I have nothing to commend myself to you. I have nothing to bring you. I have no honor. I have no glory. I have nothing where you can look down and say, you deserve my mercy and goodness. Let me bless you because you're so great. He knew he was nothing and that he had nothing. He knew he was the sinner of all sinners. But yet Jesus shocked his audience, shocked them. He's talking to Pharisees here. (laughs) Now the Pharisees truly expect this story to turn out completely different. They're supposed to say the man who did the law, who worked the system, who was so good at being good, he's the one that God said, you're right in my sight. They fully expected that. They were appalled when Jesus had the audacity to say the worst sinner in town was found to be right with God on the basis of mercy alone. That was appalling to them because they were Pharisees of Pharisees and that was true they despised those who didn't sparkle <laughs> with their good works. When I think of a tax collector I think of great sinners. Jesse Duplantis always says he used to be a great sinner. <laughs> he sinned with all of his heart <laughs> but now he is a great believer. Why is that? You see when a great sinner recognizes the truth about themselves that they are utterly helpless to save themselves. When they abandon all effort, all effort to be pleasing to God in their own strength. When they recognize, God, I can never do enough good to undo all my bad. If you don't save me, I cannot be saved. That's why people who are often quote-unquote great sinners become great believers because they're not trusting in themselves at all. (laughs) They have transferred all of their trust to the one who loves them and empowers them and gives them mercy and grace. Recently, the Lord keeps putting this picture in my mind of what happens at salvation and that so many Christians don't understand really what happened at salvation. They think there's a Switzerland. You know what a Switzerland is? It's a place of neutrality. You see, in whatever world war, they said, we're not picking sides. We're going to remain neutral. It was really not true, but that's what they declared. I'm neutral. I'm not a for you, and I'm not against you. I'm neutral. There is no Switzerland when it comes to spiritual things. <laughs> you are either in the kingdom of darkness or you are in the kingdom of light. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. There is no half and half There is no, I'm not for or against. You are either in one kingdom or the other. The picture he keeps painting for me is this place of great darkness, of muck and mire and death and nothing good, no light. And as a human being, every human being is born into that darkness. And the truth is, they don't know that they're in that darkness. This Pharisee character did not know what kingdom he was living in. He was in the kingdom of darkness. But see, if you don't know you live in the darkness, if you don't know you're stepping into closets where Satan can beat your brains out, that's what you get to live in all of the time. An unbeliever, in the best case scenario, they begin to realize that I am utterly helpless to get out of this pit that I can try with all of my might to climb out of this place of darkness. I can try to be good. I can try to be pleasing. I can try to do anything and everything to get myself to climb out of this pit of darkness. That is where the human race is. But most of them don't know that. And too many Christians think that I'm half good. I'm in Switzerland. <laughs> I don't live in that kingdom of darkness. I'm a good person. I live in Switzerland. <laughs> and the truth is, no, you don't. And see, that's what the law was meant to do, was to bring somebody to the understanding that you live in a place you can never work hard enough to get out of. Hopefully, when you come to that realization, I'm in a pit of darkness, I can never work my way out of. And if I don't have a Savior, I will not be saved. No matter how hard I try, I can't get out of the darkness. And when a sinner comes to that place and says, God, all I can pray have mercy on me, have mercy on me, I don't deserve it, there's nothing good in me you can reward, it's okay, just take me out of the pit, and that's exactly what he does, he picks us up out of that pit, he translates us into the kingdom of light, and love, and glory, and honor, and peace, and joy, and prosperity, he has translated us out of the pit of darkness, but so many Christians want to go back and play there. Why? <laughs> Why do we want to go play in the darkness? Why do we want to not be aware of the traps that the enemy sets? Salvation is entirely a work of Jesus Christ. And all we do is we look unto him and say, please. And he says, yes. It is nothing of us, and it is all of him. This Pharisee couldn't see that his prayer should have been the same as the tax collector. This Pharisee could not see the only claim he had on God was a plea for mercy. What he did not see is that Jesus didn't paint a picture of the best of the best and the worst of the worst. He painted a picture of the worst of the worst compared to the worst of the worst. That they were on level playing fields, that they both lived in the pit of darkness. No matter how they lived out in that darkness that's still where they were and their only hope was a savior a god who would be merciful they had different kinds of sin the tax collectors were visible for all to see but the pharisees sins were hidden in his heart where god, only god maybe could see they both equally needed god's grace and mercy and the truth is whether we are the offended or the offender, we both need God's mercy and grace to get out of the place of darkness. Now what if I told you, all of you have a little tiny Pharisee that lives on the inside of them. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) One of the things I learned years ago in regarding children's growth development is that there's this stage that they call the law keeping stage. It's at the ages like six to nine because children generally want to be pleasing to their parents. But during this age of six to nine, they begin to learn the rules. The rules of the household, what's right, what's wrong, what's appropriate, inappropriate. And they turn into wonderful little Pharisees. They want a whistle and a ticket book because they want to give everyone who's being naughty a ticket because they want everybody to follow the rules. Not necessarily themselves, but they love being the policeman and telling everybody what they should and should not be doing. Well, this training process, this, this growth process, as it continues, that stuff stays inside of us. You see, your whole life, your little tiny Pharisee has been accruing a list of everything that you believe is right and wrong. And I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about everything. Remember, to offend or to have an offense can be anything anything. It is crazy how people can get offended at such small, tiny, insignificant things. But see, in their mind, they have been taught or they have made the judgment that certain things are inappropriate or not right in their household. People are taught different things. I'm reminded of the the missionaries. I forget what country they went to who, who were killed. But in that particular country, It was proper if the husband, the man of the house was dying, that he could take one of his children with him. So they would actually kill a child to go with the father into death. That was their tradition. (laughs) To them, that was proper and right. So to not do that was offensive. Okay? Now, one of the things I heard recently was a very famous minister who told his congregation that your conscience is the Holy Spirit. And I was like, whoa, it is not. And he went on to say why he believed that. I was like, no, that's not true. Your conscience is your little Pharisee. Your conscience has all these lists of rules of what's right and wrong. And we carry those things through our whole life. Everybody has a conscience. Not everybody has the Holy Spirit. Okay, it, there are two different things. Now, does the Holy Spirit speak into our consciousness? Absolutely, all the time. But we have to know the difference. (laughs) We all have a little tiny Pharisee in our head called our conscience. You see, our conscience can condemn us. But God is greater than our conscience or our heart. Okay, So that's why we have to understand that some of the judgments we make, the things we take offense at, are not about right and wrong. They're not about good and evil. They're about what's right to us. It's our standard. It's what we think is right. And we get offended when people don't do things the way we think is right. (laughs) Especially if they don't do them as good as we would do them. (laughs) We can get very offended very quickly. Just as an example, Olga, who manages the school, she comes from a very different culture. In her culture, it is very inappropriate for a lady to sit on the floor. Only ladies of the night would do such a thing. But when we went to Nicaragua, guess what we saw at the airport? We saw ladies, young ladies, sitting on the floor, laying on the floor. And she was like, oh my goodness. (laughs) To her, it was an abomination. You're telling everybody you're worth nothing. Now, is this from God? Is this from the Holy Spirit? No, from her little Pharisee. And we all have that little Pharisee that tries to tell us what's right and wrong according to us had to tell it myself. He said, I can't tell you about anybody else's mistakes. I can only tell you about mine. (laughs) The little Pharisee inside of us. The day before we graduated, I went to go get my hair done. To get it cut and colored. And I had used the same lady I had used previously. I told her I want the same thing, just a little different in the front and same color. And she did something totally different. (laughs) And she made the front of me all white. And I was like, "Uh, that's not right. (laughs) So she attempted to fix it, and then she had done a pre-cut and said she'd finish the cut when the color was done. And because she had to fix what she had done, it took so long she couldn't finish styling my hair. So I left the salon with wet hair. So I didn't really know what I had until I got home. (laughs) And I understood while I was there, she was doing the best that she could. And I gave her a nice big tip because I know you're trying. You're trying to do your best. You're trying to make me happy. But when I got home and saw what she had done to my hair, I was like, so mad, Jesus. <laughs> I am so mad. <laughs> this is not what I expected. This is not what I wanted. This is not what I paid an awful lot of money for. <laughs> and I was furious. And I thought, can I stay home for my own college graduation? I do not want to go out looking like this. <laughs> now, is that the Holy Spirit? <laughs> no <laughs> that's a little Pharisee on the inside of me that cares so much about how she looks that she's thinking about staying home from her own college graduation dumb so I had to make a decision I said to the Lord Lord I have never been so unhappy with a haircut in my entire life this has got to be the worst of the worst <laughs> and God's like really really <laughs> What is offense? Angry? Hurt? Upset? I have now taken offense. You know why I was so offended? I paid a really a lot of money for that. (laughs) If I had paid 20 bucks, I got what I deserved. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) But I had paid a lot of money and I expected something I didn't get. And the little Pharisee in me says, this is not right. This is wrong. And God's like, okay, you're going to go to sleep like that? Lord." Can you make me look cute anyway? (laughs) And so that I could go to sleep, I said, okay, God, I'm going to put this in your pile. You know what? There's your pile and there's God pile. The God pile is a pile where you have absolutely no control. (laughs) There's no escaping the fact that my hair is not going to change before I go to the graduation tomorrow. There's no one to call. There's no one to make it fixed. There's no one to make it right. It just has to be the way it is. I'm going to have to swallow my pride. Little Pharisees, very proud. They care about things like that. Things that don't really make a difference. To my little Pharisee, how my hair looked was really super important. I know that's not true for anybody here. (laughs) And it's just my little Pharisee that's that way. So I got offended. And the next morning when I went to do my hair, it started all over again. I'd put it in God's pile that night. <laughs> it's your pile, God. You have to fix it. And then when I got to do my hair, I was like, I'm so mad! <laughs> and God's like, oh, you're going to go to your graduation and worship like that? Oh, no! I can't be in Pharisee land and in worship land at the same time. They don't mix. <laughs> one is flesh and one is spirit. God's like, okay, where are you going to walk today? you going to walk in the flesh? Are you going to walk in the spirit? What do I have to do? Swallow my pride, which I did. Why do we get snared into taking offenses? Because we get our eyes on ourselves. We get our eyes on our opinions, on our feelings, and our standards of right and wrong. And when others don't live up to our standards, we take offense and we become angry and hurt and upset. And that's what I had done so once we've entered into the trap of offense how does it affect us you know how it affected me instantly it does everybody too when you meet a christian who's in offense you know what you'll see first thing is they have no peace you can't be an offense and a peace at the same time it doesn't work i lost my peace i kept having to put my pharisee back on the god pile and pick up my peace put everything in god's hands When I was upset about my hair, I lost my peace. But Psalms 119.65 says this, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Nothing shall offend them. You See, if my eyes are on God and His word, His goodness, His kindness, His mercy. My eyes are on the right place when I'm like the tax collector and say, I have no pile, God. (laughs) Nothing to bring. I need your mercy. I need your grace that's when I can really be unoffended, when I'm not expecting somebody else to live up to my own expectations, not even myself, when I let myself off the hook, when I don't look the way I want to look, whatever that standard is, I don't meet it and measure it. I can let me off the hook so that I'm not offended by myself. <laughs> I'm not offended by anything when my eyes are on Christ. Isaiah 26.3 says, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. Wherever we're looking, that's where we're trusting. Romans 8, 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death. That's the little Pharisee. <laughs> but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's the Holy Spirit. If we want peace, if we don't want to be caught in the, this trap of offense, then we have to go to the King of peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. So often, we expect people who offend us to be the ones to fix us. One of the things I did I said, okay, Lord, do I go back? Do I call them and say, this is not right? I'm sorry. I know you tried your best, but this is not what I asked for. None of this is right. <laughs> Can you please make it right? And God said, that would be fine if you wanted to do that. But he says, I want to ask you one question. How will that benefit her? Oh, There you go again, making it about somebody else. <laughs> He said, how will it benefit her for you to do that? For you to make a big fuss? Because whose fault is it? Is it her fault? Or is it your fault? Who did the miscommunication? Who didn't listen? Who didn't say the right things? Who didn't transfer the information completely or properly? Who misunderstood? Can you divide that anywhere? <laughs> no, you can't. You can't say, I said so she should have understood. It doesn't work. You see, that's becoming offended. You're not living up to my standard. and It's easy easy to get offended. So the Lord said, you can do that if it will benefit her. It's like man (laughs) that's probably going to get her in trouble with her boss. It isn't really going to benefit her, especially if I'm asking for her to do it over for nothing because I think the right thing is you should make it right. See the truth is we do that with people. When they offend us We want them to make us okay. We want them to apologize. We want them to change. And Jesus says, no, that's your Pharisee. And what was the Pharisee's problem? His heart. And who can fix a heart? Only Christ. Only Christ. So (laughs) he said, I'm the only one that can make this right. And you haven't trusted me to make it right. You're trying to do it in your own strength, and in your own wisdom. It's your Pharisee and your pride that's offended, (laughs) and none of this is going to work out well for you, (laughs) because you're in the snare, you're in the darkness. Come back into the light. Let me fix this. Let me pay for a new hairdo. Let me send you to a different place. Let me lead and guide you. Let me. You see, if I take whatever is broken, or whatever I find offensive to Jesus and knowing He's the only one that can really make me right in my heart. Other people can't make me right. Other people can't fix me. Only Jesus can fix me and fix my heart. When I was studying for this message, this is where the clay pots come in. I love this scripture. It's in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. And I'm reading the ESV version. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He says we are jars of clay, but what's inside? That's where the glory is, the glory of God. That's where the treasure is, Christ himself. That is where we should look to be fixed, (laughs) to make right those things that other people do wrong. See, when we let other people off the hook, we're the one that's fixed. We can't demand somebody else to make us good, make us heal, make us whole, only Christ. You see, the Pharisee was a clay jar. Only his clay jar looked really pretty. There was no chinks in it. It wasn't cracked. It looked beautiful. But What was inside his clay jar was only darkness. The tax collector, his jar was pretty rough. It was all beat up. <laughs> it leaked terrible. <laughs> but the tax collector knew that he was empty, that he couldn't fix himself. You see, everybody's a clay pot. And all of us, have chinks and cracks and weaknesses and faults and things that we offend other people and we don't even know we've offended. And sometimes we are offended by other people's cracked pots. We look at their cracked pots and we say, you should be prettier than that and you should be shinier than that and you should be, you should be. We need to quit looking at other people's cracked pots (laughs) and realize that our own pot is cracked we are fallible. We fall short. That when we step into the snare of offense, we are just as guilty of sin as the one who has offended us. If indeed they've actually sinned. What I have found is that people get offended over things that are not sin. There are things like, does somebody sit on the floor? You see, it is that training that we have in our head. And when we take all of that stuff and we submit it to Christ, He says, I want you to understand Everybody is a cracked pot. Everybody, in their own strength and in their own power, brings nothing to the table. You need my mercy, and you need my grace. Whether you're guilty, or you think you're not guilty, <laughs> whether you see yourself as the Pharisee or the tax collector, they all need exactly the same thing. God's mercy and grace. 1 Peter eight says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Matthew five forty four says this, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You can't do that if you're looking at the cracked pots. You have to look to the glory within, because in your own strength, you can't make yourself all better. It's only Jesus who makes us right makes us acceptable, gives us our worth, our value, so that we can tell our little Pharisee in our head to shut up. <laughs> I'm listening to the Holy Spirit and not to you. I hope that what you come away from today is that you see where in your life, maybe you've stepped into one of those snares. You've been offended by somebody or somebody did. We all do it unwittingly. We step into there because somebody failed or they didn't meet our expectation and we're offended. We're angry, hurt, and upset. Now the word tells us if our brother offends us, we should go to him and talk to him. But you know what? Most Christians don't do that. They'd rather fight over the color of the carpet. Cindy has a picture of the church floor in Haiti. It's dirt. There's nothing to fight over. <laughs> but see, when our opinions, I think it should be this color. at That one thinks it should be that color. And they go to blows over things that are not important. And they get offended because somewhere in there, the Pharisee in their head, this is wrong and this is right. Where is your snare? Do you have one? Mm -hmm. Is there a person that you're offended at? Can that person actually make it right? (laughs) Not usually. Because even when people apologize, the Pharisees don't care. (laughs) Pharisees want justice, not mercy. And what we need to realize is that we're all cracked pots. If you're a believer, you're a cracked pot full of the glory of God. And it is his mercy, his grace. And you know what I love about grace? Is that it's free. There's no cost to me. All I have to do is ask and believe. And he'll fix me. He'll fix my heart. He'll help me not to be offended. And I can let other people off the hook and stop being a Pharisee. <laughs> I hope this helps you to not get into the dark closet and let Satan beat the tar out of you with offense. (laughs) Just remember, if you go into that dark closet, he wants to make you his lunch. (laughs) He wants to destroy you. Jesus saw the truth that offense is an attempt to get you off course. If you don't come away with anything else today, remember that. If I am offended, Satan is trying to get me off course. Once you come into the light of the truth, you never again have to walk in the darkness. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for your word and your truth. You are faithful to remind us of our own faults, our own shortcomings, our own failings, that none of us is perfect in our performance, and that others may offend me without even knowing they're doing it, and I may offend others with no intention of offending anyone. But when we bring all those things to you, and we take our hands off of them, and we put them in your pile. And we say, you are my healing, you are my fullness, you are my joy, you are my pride, you are all that is good and kind and wonderful. And it is to you that I look and not to myself. I thank you, Father God, that you have delivered me from the pit of darkness and I don't live there anymore. You have utterly saved me who did not deserve in any way, shape or form to deserve to be saved. And I thank you, Father God, That you remind me that in myself, I'm just an empty cracked pot. But in you, you have made me new. You have given me your life and your strength, your mercy, your grace, your love, your provision, your help, your strength. I lack no good thing because I'm in you and you're in me. And when I look to you to meet my needs and not somebody else, then I'll never be disappointed or offended. Father, I ask that you would impart this truth to us today, to our hearts. You would cause us to see when the snare is set for us. That when we start to get offended, we acknowledge exactly what it is that we see and say, no, I refuse to go into the darkness. I choose to stay and walk in the light as he is in the light. And Father, I thank you that it is by your power of the Holy Spirit And only by the power of your Holy Spirit that we ever do anything right. (laughs) And Father, I thank you for your goodness and mercy to us and in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.